Thanks for tuning in today. I pray that today's message will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can find them on our app. Our series, Enforcing Justice, comes to an end today with Rescued from the Darkness. As we've learned in this series, God has made many promises. They started with the covenant between Abraham and God, which is fulfilled with Jesus. It is important to remember that all of the promises in the Bible are yes and amen, because Jesus rescued us from the darkness and saved us from our sins. Let's take a look. I want to bring you a message that I believe will bring a greater level of victory into your life. Now, whenever we're going to go to a greater level of victory, what is necessary is a greater level of revelation. When there's revelation, there is transformation. John Wesley, a few hundred years ago, talked about what he called mental ascent. He said, you know something is true in your head, but it doesn't change your life. It's not in your heart. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of Christians are. We mentally assent. We know things are true in our head, but we don't have revelation in our heart. But when revelation comes to your heart, there's transformation. In fact, you can really tell if you have mental assent, you simply know something in your head or if it's in your heart, because when you have the revelation, it changes your life. It changes what you do. And if you only know in your head, you can keep on going in whatever direction you've been going. But once there's revelation, there's a transformation and there's a change in direction. So I would like to start in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Now, uh, today, I am not trying to say anything that you have not heard before. Right? But the apostle Peter said this as he wrote. He, he said, I'm writing this to stir you up by way of reminder. In other words, he's saying the fact that you've heard something one time does not mean you have it in your heart. And the other thing about spiritual truth is spiritual truth is literally it's food for your spirit. The Bible tells us in the book of Peter, second chapter, it says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In other words, the Bible is food for your spirit. It's food so that you'll grow spiritually. Um, how many of you have ever had a filet mignon steak? How many like, well, I've had that. I never want one again. <laughs> like, no, I'll take one every day. Right? Uh, I, I'm personally, I'm more of a, a salmon guy. But man, every time I have a chance, I'm ordering salmon. Yeah, I don't go, well, I've had that before. I know it's good. No, it's good, so I'm having some more. Now, the same thing is true spiritually. Just because we've heard a truth, spiritual truth before, doesn't mean like, well, I know that. No, it will nourish you and strengthen you, and literally you keep growing from glory to glory. You grow in dimensions of our faith and in dimensions of understanding. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God in Jesus our Lord. Now notice, for us to have the grace and peace multiplied, for there to be spiritual growth, there has to be knowledge. And again, not just mental ascent that you know in your head, but revelation that you have in your heart. Verse 3, as his divine power has given to 
to us. So it's not that we've got to get God to do something. He has given. And notice what it says, he has given all things that pertain to life and godliness. When it says life, it's talking about your natural life. And godliness is talking about your spiritual life. It says he has provided. It's not that he's going to do something. We so often have this attitude. Well, I'm, I am nothing. I can do nothing. I have nothing. But God, you can do anything. That's not a good attitude. Well, can God do anything? Well, in one sense, yes. But here's the deal. It's not what we're, we're trying to get him to do something. But he says that he has given. It's already done. In fact, the Bible in the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus has obtained an eternal, complete redemption. It's not what he's going to do. It's what he has done. So as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. So so God has these promises that are for us, and it says that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Most of us are not finding out what God has already done, what those promises are. We're trying to get God to do something when God's saying, why don't you find out what I have already done for you? And notice the Bible calls them exceedingly great and precious promises. In 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. In him, that's where you are, you're in Christ, to the glory of God through us. Literally, God is only glorified when we believe and receive all of these exceeding great and precious promises. Now, way back in the beginning of the book of Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham. You probably remember we've talked about it. Abraham cuts the animals in half, puts them on altars, And the Bible says that God the Father and God the Son show up and they walk through the pieces, right? And I've told you before, they're making promises to each other, right? They're talking as they're walking through these pieces and they're making promises. Now, those are the promises, by the way, that are the exceeding great and precious promises. They belong to you. If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. These are the promises that belong to you. And you find them all through the New Testament. And most of them start with something like this, in him, in whom, in the beloved. Those are the promises that were made as they walked through the pieces. And the Bible calls them exceedingly great and precious promises. Now, these are not things God is going to do now. At this point, these are all things God has done. He obtained an eternal and a complete redemption for us. So, so often what we're doing, again, we're trying to get God to do something, and God says, no, you just need to find out what I've already done. Now, in Jude, it's a really small book in your Bible, right before the book of Revelation. It's just one chapter. But in the third verse, 
he says that I was, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, which, by the way, means this. Not that it's common in quality, because the Bible calls it so great a salvation. But it's common because this. What God did for one, he did for everyone. In other words, when you come and receive what God has done for you, it's like you get a package. And in that package is everything that God's done for you. Now, here's the good news. What's in your package is in my package. There's nothing in my package that's not in your package. That's why the Bible calls it a common salvation. You know somebody who got delivered? It came out of the package. It was in their package. It's in yours. You know somebody who got healed? Hey, if it was in their package, it's in your package. Right? It is a common salvation. In other words, what God did for one, he'll do for all. So he says, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write to you to contend earnestly. In other words, there's going to be thoughts, teaching, doctrine that is against this, that is contrary. But you need to contend earnestly. Now, notice this is first century. This is not 21st century. This is first century. He says, you need to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. You say, what does that mean exactly? That means that what you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you find in the book of Acts and in Romans and Corinthians, that's the faith that was given, not just for this first century, but also for the 21st century. Because it was given how many times? Once for who? For all. And he says, you're going to have to fight for that. Because you're going to have to contend. Because they're going to tell you, there are going to be people around and say, yeah, God used to do that, but he doesn't do that anymore. He says, you're going to have to fight for the true faith, which was delivered once and for all. I love what, what uh, Isaiah is prophesying. Right? And he actually has the words of Jesus in his mouth. Isaiah 8, 18. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. Here am I, that's Jesus. The children, that's us. This is what he says. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. He says, we're for signs and wonders. So you're going to find a lot of people going to tell you, no, God's not healing anymore. God's not delivering anymore. God's not, no, God's not doing any of that. But it is not true. All right, it is not true. The faith was delivered once and for all. In the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter, it says, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. So as a believer, there should be signs following you. And Jesus starts the list with they will cast out demons, and he ends the list with they'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now notice Jesus said signs will follow believers. What I've noticed in nearly, well, 40, 47 years of ministry is that what happens, instead of signs following believers, believers tend to follow signs. They're trying to look for something. Oh, it's happening over here. It's happening over there. No, it's happening where you're believing. That's where it's happening. So in Luke 10, Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So you have authority. But you have to use it. You know, the, one of the verses that I've heard quoted so many times is that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. And then he stopped right in mid-verse. 
But here's what the rest of it says. According to the power that's at work in us. Now, it's not your power, it's God's power. But you know where the power is? It's in us. It's in us. And if we don't release the power, it's not going to get released. Now, I I, I think the switches are back here someplace. Uh, We have lights in here. Now, if we have problems with the lights, we do not call the power company and say, what's wrong with you that we don't have any lights? You know what we need to do? We need to go back there, throw the switch. It's not the power company that's the problem. It's our problem, right? Now, the same thing is true. God's given us the power. The Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. But if we don't release the power, it's not that God hasn't sent it. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. You'll trample on serpents and scorpions. Over all the power of the devil, nothing will by any means hurt or harm you. So we were mentioning the promises that God made in the covenant with Abraham. Now, the covenant is, part, is, is in great degree a redemption. Part of it is, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The Messiah is going to come. But Abraham has to keep his side of the covenant. So God comes to Abraham, and the Bible says he tested him. Now, he didn't test him with evil. He tested him to see if he would do his part of the covenant. Now, what the covenant was going to require was for God to send his son to die for our sins. So Abraham had to be willing to give his son. So God tells him, take your son, bring him to Mount Moriah, That's the place in Jerusalem where the Temple Mount is. It's where Jesus is crucified, just a little bit off to the side. And Abraham passes the test. And then God said to Abraham, he said, I swear, God's sure word. Now, the book of Hebrews talks about this, and it says that there's two immutable things. Number one, it's impossible for God to lie. And secondly, he swore. He swore. This is where he's swearing. And the Bible says there's nobody greater than he can swear by, so he swears by himself. So if God does not keep the covenant, he's not God. He swears by himself. And he said, because you have gone through with this and have not refused to give me your son, your dear, dear son, I will bless you. Oh, how I will bless you. When God says, oh, how I'm going to bless you, he's going to bless you. All right? And again, in Christ, in him, in whom, those are just, that's the majority of the promises that are made. He says, oh, how I'll bless you. I will make sure that your descendants flourish. And I love the last part. He says, and your descendants will defeat their enemies. Your descendants, you're going to have victory. Because you're in Christ, you're not going to a victory. You're coming from a victory. See, what Jesus did, he didn't do to prove he could do. The Bible says God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself. He was in Christ, but he wasn't working on Christ. How many know Christ was already perfect? He was in Christ, but he was working on you. 
He got you victory. He got you deliverance. He got you peace. He got, he, what he did there, he was doing for you. So Ephesians chapter one, the Holy Spirit is inspiring the apostle Paul. And he's, he's writing a prayer that literally billions of people, Christians, are going to be praying for millennial. It's been 2,000 years, and we're still praying this prayer. Now, most Christians would have prayed something like this. God, bless all the people. God, send revival. God, deliver them. God, do a new work in their life. That's how most people would pray, but that's not at all what gets prayed. That's our religious thinking. And this is what he prays, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. First thing he says is open their eyes, their spiritual eyes, so they can see spiritual truth. Okay, number one, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now notice it's what is. Not what's going to be, not what might be, not what we hope will happen, but what is the hope of his calling. In other words, what is God's purpose for your life? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So what is it that Jesus purchased for you? He says, what are? Now, notice he's not trying to get God to do something for us. He's trying, he's praying that we will see what has already been done. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And it's all those precious promises. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe or at work in us who believe? And it's again, what is? See, we're always trying to get God to do something. But when Paul prays, he doesn't pray that God do something new. He doesn't pray God bless you. He doesn't pray God deliver you because the truth is he's already blessed you. The truth is you're already delivered. The truth is Jesus already paid for you to be healed because by his stripes you were healed. But he's praying and saying, God, let them see what you have already done. And where we're trying to get God to do something, we are missing it because he's already done it. So it's like we're trying to to climb a hill and get victory. But the truth is you're already on top of the hill and the enemy's trying to come up and pull you down. Listen, it's a whole lot easier to defend what you've already got than to try to get something you don't have going uphill. We've got to change the way we think we have to have a different mentality and realize we don't need to get God to do anything. We need him to open our eyes so we can see what has already been done. We have already received a complete and eternal redemption that deals with everything for life, your natural life, and godliness, your spiritual life. And it's according to his power that's working in us according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He's saying the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. The same power. And listen, it was a greater miracle when God raised Christ from the dead than when he created the universe. In fact, it says here that he exerted his mighty power. 
creation did not have opposition, and God just spoke it forth. But when God raised Christ from the dead, there was opposition. So the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now listen, his name is above every name in heaven, earth, and under the earth. That's all there is. There's the heavenly realm, there's the earthly realm, and there's the demonic realm. In all three realms, Jesus' name is above every name. If you can name it, it has to bow to Jesus' name. Cancer, we can name it. It bows to Jesus' name. Depression, we name it. It bows to Jesus' name. Addiction, it's name. It has to bow to Jesus' name. Pornography, it's an addiction. It has to bow. Alcoholism, drug addiction, you name it, it has to bow to Jesus' name. Colossians chapter 1 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. Where we so often miss it is, right, the Bible teaches very clearly that you are a three-part being. Thessalonians 5.23. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. And I think it's interesting that most of the time when it's quoted, it's misquoted. Most of the time people say body, soul, and spirit. You say why? Because we're more conscious of our body than we are our spirit. We are body conscious. And people say things like this. Well, I just, I just don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like God loves me. I don't feel like God's going to answer my prayer. Who cares? It has nothing to do with what you feel. All right? Listen, the Bible says the father who has qualified us. You are not qualified because you feel qualified. You're not qualified because you prayed for two hours, because you fasted. You're not qualified because you changed diapers or sang in the choir or ministered in children's church. It's not what you have done or not done that qualifies you because God the Father qualified you. So your body may not feel, your body may tell you you're not good enough, but it doesn't matter what your soul says. It doesn't matter what your body says. The spiritual reality is God has qualified you for your share of the inheritance. Now, by the way, the Bible tells us that we're co-heirs with Christ. Now, what that means is this. If we were just heirs and there was a, a inheritance, if we were heirs, each one of us would get a part. But when you're co-heirs, Everybody gets every part together. And we are co-heirs with Christ. So he qualified you for your share of the inheritance of the saints in, in life. That's those exceeding great and precious promises. He qualified you. And then the 13th verse says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. The Living Bible says it this way. He's rescued us out of the darkness 
and gloom of Satan's kingdom. You're no longer under Satan's domain. Barclay said, who rescued us from the grip of the power of darkness. My favorite is the cotton patch translation, Clarence Jordan. He says, it was the father who sprang us from the jailhouse of darkness and turned us loose into the new world of his beloved son. We were in the jailhouse of darkness. We were under Satan's grip and control. The Amplified Classic says it this way, the Father has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So we're out from under Satan's domain. You say, well, why are there still problems with the devil? Well, there's problems with the devil because he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he has not yet been bound. Now, he's going to get bound, but he's not bound yet. Now, I know some of us were brought up in traditions where they told us we are in the millennium and Satan is bound. But Peter said this. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not bound yet. You are not in the millennium today. And you want to know what it looks like when Satan attacks? In the book of Job, he had, Satan attacks Job. First, he attacks his finances. Then he attacks his family. Then he attacks his health. Then his marriage. That's a good picture when the devil shows up. Now, there is going to be a time when the devil's taken out of the way. But I want you to listen. Until that time comes, God has done everything he's going to do about the devil. You can go, oh, God, the devil's after me. Get him. And God's going to go, I gave you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Jesus arose from the dead and said, all authority is given unto me. And what does he do? Gives it away immediately. Go you, therefore. He gives you the authority. And so often we're waiting for God to do something about the devil And God's saying, I'm waiting for you to do something about the devil because he's given you and I authority. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus in the synagogue, an evil spirit, a demon, cries out and says, have you come to torment us before the time? Before the... There is a judgment day coming. All right? But it's not yet. It's not yet. And in in a real sense, God put Adam and Eve on the earth. And we don't know exactly what the the parameters are, but he gave mankind dominion over the earth. And it was kind of like God gave man a lease. But that time frame is going to run out at some point. Most scholars have always believed that there was a period of time from the fall of Adam until when Jesus is going to come back. Uh, This was written in 15... 52 by Bishop Latimer, who was later burned at the stake. He said, the world was ordained to endure as all learned men affirm 6,000 years. Now he says of that number, 5,552 have passed. And he had another 448 ending around the year 2000. Uh, the, the apostle Paul traveled with Barnabas. Barnabas is one of the apostles mentioned in the Bible. Now he wrote to the church. It's not in your Bible. It's not inspired by God, but he wrote, this is what he taught. This is from the book of Barnabas. 
And God made in six days the works of his hands. He finished them on the seventh day. And he rested on the seventh day and sanctified. Consider my children what this signifies. He finished them in six days. Meaning of that is this, that in 6,000 years, the Lord will bring an end of all things. Then Irenaeus, um, so we've got the 15th century. We just had the first century. Now, Irenaeus is the disciple of Polycarp, who was the disciple of John the Apostle, the disciple of Jesus. This is second century. For the day of the Lord is of a thousand years, and in six days God created all things and were complete. It's evident, therefore, that they will come to an end after six thousand years. Now they're talking from the fall of Adam. Um, by the way, according to the Jewish calendar, we are 5,700 and some years in right now. But what, what I want you to catch is this, that there's going to come a day when the Bible says, Revelation 20, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, the next verse again mentions a thousand years. And then the next four verses mention four more times a thousand years. Now, again, some of us were told we're in that thousand year period and the devil's bound. By the way, he's not. But God's not going to do anything about the devil. Say that again. God's not going to do anything about the devil until he sends an angel. Jesus isn't even going to do it himself. Jesus already defeated the devil. But he's just going to send an angel. And that angel is going to take the devil and throw him in the bottomless pit and put a chain on it for a thousand years. In the meantime, you have authority over the devil. Hello. You have authority. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. James, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. And we need to use that authority. Now, surely, I believe we are in the last days. I believe that. And I know some people that are very fearful. They look at what's going on in the world and they get fearful. Look, and Jesus didn't say, when you see the last days come, buy guns, dry food, dried food, and then go hide in your basement. In fact, Jesus said, when you see these things begin to take place, he said, lift up your head, rejoice, because your redemption draws nigh. It is not a time to hide. Right? It's a time to let the kingdom of God shine through us. I remember growing up in church, and our mentality was basically we're going to just, let's just hold out. We just got to make it till Jesus comes. Uh, I, there was a song that we used to sing, and it's called Hold the Fort. I've got a few of the words here. Hold the fort, Jesus says, for I'm coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace we will. See the mighty host advancing. Satan leading on. 
Mighty ones around us falling. Courage almost gone. Well, that's going to build your faith. <laughs> Listen, this is what Jesus said. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What most, the picture most of us have had is that we're in the kingdom of God and we're hiding in this fort and we've got our gates and the devil's there smashing against the gates about to knock the gates of the kingdom down and come in and get the church. But that's not the picture that Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us a picture of the devil cowering behind his doors and the church advancing, knocking down those doors and plundering hell to populate heaven. The picture Jesus gives is a church that's powerful, a church that has authority. And we've got to change the way we think. We've got to think the way the Bible tells us to think. That we are redeemed. That we're the head and not the tail. That we're seated with him in heavenly places. Far above principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that's named. Not only in this world, but also that which is to come. Jesus said it this way, message Bible. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth. Earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. And a no on earth is a no in heaven. I mean, Jesus said, I'll back you up. I will back you up. You are an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Let me close with one last scripture, Ephesians 3 and 10. To the intent now, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. So God's plan, God's victory is to be made known by the church. Listen, to principalities and powers, Satan and demons in heavenly places. God wants Satan, the demonic kingdom, to recognize the defeat that Jesus purchased because the church rises up and uses the authority that God has given them. Martin Luther wrote this 500 years ago. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Wow. His truth to triumph through us. We need to take the authority that we have been given. Realize we're seated with him in heavenly places. We are victorious in Christ. Now, I want to thank you for being with us today, but I want to ask you a question before we close. I want to ask if you're right with God. You know, some of us, we, we'd live for God at one point, but we've drifted away from God. And others, you don't know where you stand with God. But the Bible says this. It says, know that you have everlasting life. We're not supposed to die and find out if we make it to heaven. We're supposed to know now that we're forgiven, right with God, and on our way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. So 
if you're that person who's away from God, are you the person who says, I don't know where I stand with God or I want to be right with God. I want to pray a prayer with you. The Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. And if you pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You are going to be saved. You are going to be on your way to heaven. I want you to make these words your own. Just say this out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. And I will live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, a part of your family, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer from your heart, please, please, I wrote a book that'll help you keep on growing spiritually. And I want to give you that book absolutely free of charge. All the information is right there on your screen. You can download the book. Or if you need a hard copy, if you'll contact us, we will get you that hard copy. Hey, we love you and God bless you. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making one of the best decisions of your life and we're so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and have a copy mailed to you. Download it instantly or check out our new audiobook. You can also find all these things on our app. This book is absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. Walking by Faith is changing lives on and off the air with the help of viewers like you. When you become a partner with us, God pours out his blessing upon you just like it says in Malachi 3.10. If you'd like to become a partner with us, we have three easy ways you can give. You can text WBFGIVE to 1-888-364-GIVE, visit walkingbyfaith.tv give, or click on the giving icon in our app. We'd love to connect with you. When you scan this QR code, you can download our app, send us a prayer request, check out our weekly devotional, and most importantly, stay connected. Also, you can find a link to our YouTube channel where we have new weekly content besides our program. If you haven't checked it out, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you know when new content is available. We pray you have a blessed week, and we'll see you again next time.